Jesus is alive. And that means, by God's grace, all of us are welcome to look at ourselves and say, I am a child of love. The door to new life is open wide before all of us. And that means the path to walking a new way in hope is ours, freely because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let those sink in for a moment. New birth into a living hope. Could you use that? Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are good words, aren't they? They are even better when you know the story behind them. The man who wrote those words had lived through a season of hopelessness that was so profound, it was as if his life had come to an end. Because of something that he did, he was so disappointed in who he was that all of the hope was emptied right out of him. Have you ever felt like that? He had been a follower of Jesus. But then he betrayed him. And it was like a wall was built between him and Jesus and all he could do was turn around and walk away. It wasn't the end for him because Jesus never gives up on anyone. When we walk away from him, he walks toward us. And though this man walked away from Jesus with this sense of utter hopelessness at who he had been, Jesus did not depart from him but followed him. Have you ever been in that place? For him, the reason he could write this is right here. Look, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus arose, this man, this hopeless man was reborn, empowered to have a new beginning, a new birth, walking into the life of hope. You are also invited to have that same experience, either for the first time or yet again. You could use that, couldn't you? The man who wrote this, well, it's right up there. It was Peter. Do you know his story? It was an encounter with the risen Jesus that changed everything in the same place where he had met Jesus right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee three years earlier. Peter was there uh, with his friends, a professional fisherman working in the boats. They had what every fisherman dreads, a night where you don't catch anything. And then in the morning, this man appears on the beach, and it's Jesus, and he's teaching, and so he asks for some help with the boat. Does some of you know this story? And Jesus gets in, and he starts to teach, and then Jesus tells him, hey, you didn't catch anything last night. Why don't you go back out and try again? And and professional fishermen love hearing that kind of thing from religious teachers. (laughs) And do you know how it ends? A miraculous catch of fish. Jesus says to him, you should follow me. You should leave the boat and the nets behind. From now on, you're going to fish for people. He does it. 
He leaves his job, his friends come with him, and they start to go about, and, and, and then, then, then Jesus changes his name. It used to be Simon, and he changes it to Peter, and he changes it to Peter because that means stone, and this guy was a rock, the strongest disciple there was. For three years, he went around with Jesus, listening to him teach, watching the way he loved people, and it was absolutely amazing until everything fell apart. It was in Jerusalem. Peter was there, and Jesus was arrested, and then he was crucified, and then he died. The next day was a Saturday. It was a Sabbath. They couldn't do anything at all, and so they all just sat there. Easter morning, you can read it in the, in the Gospel of John, it's the women who go to the garden, and they see the resurrected Jesus, but there's no conversation that is recorded between Jesus and Peter. Peter has failed so miserably and he knows that this crucifixion is in part due to his own personal failure the night before. Have you ever felt so badly that you look at yourself and you say, hopeless? I know some of you have. Gotten it so wrong that you want to give up and run away from Jesus. One of the things that I love about the Bible and that makes me confident that it's true is that it makes no effort whatsoever to hide the fact that disciples fail miserably. Does that make anyone else feel like they're in good company? Yes. Yeah. The story of Peter's failure, it, it's not only not hidden, it's told in all four gospels. It was at the Last Supper in the city of Jerusalem for this last meal when Jesus tells his friends, one of you is going to betray me, Peter speaks up. Do you know it? He says, not me. Maybe everybody else, but not me. I would die before I betrayed you. Jesus looks at him and says, three times before the sun comes up, you will deny me. Can you imagine being Peter in that moment? They leave the upper room. They cross down the hill, and then up the other side of the Kidron Valley, they make their way up to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, Peter watches as the soldiers arrive and arrest Jesus. He takes his sword out to try to stop it. Jesus tells him, put that away. Peter steps back, and he observes as the soldiers lead Jesus to the home of the high priest, where he's inside being questioned while Peter is outside being questioned. Jesus, the light of the world, is being asked by Caiaphas who he is, while Peter, sitting by the light of a charcoal fire, is being asked who he is. I can see some of you know this story. Would you try to put yourself into Peter's shoes for a moment? If you're someone who has been astounded at how hypocritical you personally have been, you will not have a hard time putting yourself into Peter's shoes. You ever hear somebody say, oh, I don't like Christians, they're hypocritical. Have you ever heard that? Yes. We are. Would you admit that? Yes. I mean, not always. We try our very best, but aren't we hypocrites sometimes? Yes. A woman right by the fire looks at him and says, wait, you are one of that guy's disciples, aren't you? No, 
I'm not. He doesn't even think of it. No, I'm not. I don't know him. As he speaks, some of the others around that little fire hear his voice, and they can tell that he's from up north, his accent. It's from Galilee. And so someone else says, wait a minute. I can tell by the way you speak. You are one of his disciples, aren't you? And, and this time he's more insistent. No, I'm not. I don't know him. But now you can see his face. And, and, and the guy who was related to the person who was attacked in the garden when Jesus was arrested, he just happens to be at the fire. And he says, wait a minute, you are one of his. I saw you in the garden with the sword. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. I don't know the man. And then the rooster crows. The sun hasn't even come up yet. And in that moment, Peter knows who he is. And he stands up and he walks away from the light into the darkness and he weeps bitterly. Have you ever been stunned by your own failure? Of course you don't want to talk about that. And why on earth would the preacher bring that up on Easter Sunday? But would you be honest? I know this. There are fathers in the room who have lived through this episode of their own grievous failure, and they wish it wasn't there, but it is. Right? Or, or, or daughters and sons who want to be other than they are, but they keep stumbling along. When the sun comes up later that day, after that betrayal, Peter watches silently as Jesus is crucified. Uh, because Saturday is a Sabbath, nobody goes anywhere. And then Sunday morning, the women get that experience of Jesus, but Peter, he doesn't have any exchange with him. And, and, and then after that, he leaves the city and he walks all the way back up to the Sea of Galilee. It is a two-hour bus drive from Jerusalem to Galilee. I did this with some friends just a little while ago. It, it's a hundred-mile walk. And listen to me. Here's the truth. Everyone who strikes out in faith to follow Jesus eventually will run into a wall some disappointment that empties the hope right out of you and makes you think, this is where I give up. I I'm not good enough anymore. I can't make it through this. The wall where your faith dies, the wall which you yourself built because of your failure, and the only thing you can do is turn back and walk back up to Galilee. And, and, and of course, you won't want this to be true, but are there any disciples of Jesus among us here who could right now say it is true? It's true, isn't it? Yeah. When Peter hit that wall in Jerusalem, he walked back up to Galilee, he found his old boat and the nets, and he made some phone calls. Actually, he didn't make... He, 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 <laughs> he reached out to his friends, and he said to them, I'm going to go back to fishing. Anybody want to come? And he got six guys. Uh, this story is told at the very end of the Gospel of John in the last chapter. And so they go back out onto the Sea of Galilee, get this, the same place where they had met Jesus three years earlier, and they go out fishing, and guess what happens that night? <laughs> I know, somebody knows it. Zero fish. They catch nothing again. The sun's coming up. 
They're heading back in. And now, as the mist begins to clear, as the day warms up, they can see there's a guy standing there on the beach. And he calls out, hey, did you catch anything? And, and fishermen love that question when they haven't caught anything. <laughs> they tell him nothing. And so he says, why not try putting your nets onto the other side? And so they do. And their nets fill up with fish. Does it sound familiar? It must have sounded familiar to them. They hurry in, and there on the shore they find this guy, Jesus. And, and some of them aren't even sure because it seems impossible. But would you try for a moment to imagine that you are Peter? Can you do that? Watch what they discover there. This is John 21. Verse nine, this is what they see when they arrive. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. What does Jesus do when he manages to chase down a betrayer, a hypocrite, a liar? He makes him breakfast. I've been out fishing all night a few times. Has anyone else in here ever gone out all night fishing? It's, it's great. It's not as great when you catch nothing. But you know what the most important thing is in the morning? Pork roll, egg, and cheese. I know, I know. It's Taylor Ham. You have never even dreamed of the benevolence that Almighty Jesus has for you. None of you have. The ones among us who are sure they're perfect have never dared to dream how much they are beloved by the Lord Almighty. The ones who are here who feel hatred toward themselves never even dreamed it. When they walk onto the beach... Six of those guys, all they see is fish and bread. One of those guys can only see one thing, a charcoal fire. And it's Peter. And it's because the last time he was sitting beside a charcoal fire, he was the guy who was building a wall between himself and Jesus. What is Jesus going to say to Peter when he finally talks to him? What would you expect What do you expect? Let's say you are one of those Christians among us who is aware of her own failures, his own failures in the past. Do you expect that when you see him, if you will see him, that he might address it? If you don't believe in him, would you try this? Imagine, well, let's say he is real. What do I expect if he is, in fact, the one that these people say he is? What might he say to me? This is verse 15. This is what happens when they're done eating. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The first time that, that a conversation between Jesus and Peter 
The first time that one of those is recorded after the conversation where Peter is swearing allegiance to Jesus and then only lying a few hours later. This is the first time they speak since then. And where are they? Where the, they're on a charcoal fire again. And this time, it's Jesus' turn to be the one who asks questions of Peter. Not this girl or this other slave. It's, it's Jesus' turn to ask the questions. And of all the questions that he could ask, the question that he decides to bring up is there. Do you love me? And this is what Jesus asks because nothing matters more to Jesus than love. In the whole world of things he could have inquired about, nothing at all matters more, let me be concrete, than the affection, the warmth, the openness, the kindness, the grace that is in his heart for this betrayer in that moment and the love that he wishes would be in the heart of that man right there, Peter, for him in this moment. Nothing compares at all to Jesus when it comes to value. Not what happened back there, not all the mistakes. You know it would have made perfect sense if Jesus had said, my turn to ask the questions. Are you a disciple of mine or not? Right, he could have said that. Why didn't you tell the truth? Why did you pretend as soon as the pressure was on? Peter, how am I supposed to trust you ever again? Why would I want to be associated with people like you? He could have asked any one of those questions and it would have made perfect sense. But instead, what he wants to know is, do you love me? I don't know what is in your heart. I know what I hope for more than anything. It is that your heart would be saying right now, does Jesus love me? Because this is it. This is the heart of the whole Christian faith. Jesus is saying right now, I love her so much. I love him so much. Oh, I wish that he would know. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. you I, I'm absolutely sure he was not certain in this moment of what was coming next. Look at what Jesus says to him. This is the end of verse 15. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. That statement right there would make immediate sense to Peter because Peter was there in person when Jesus taught about being the good shepherd. Does some of you know that teaching where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd? The sheep know my voice. I hear them, I care about them. I love them so much, I lay my life down for them. I'll guide them, I'll, I'll protect them. When the wolves come, I'm not running away because that's who I am. I'm the good shepherd who tends my lambs, who cares for my sheep. Jesus tells Peter, if you love me, here's the thing that matters to me more than anything else, that you would care for the people around you. Do you see how magnificent Jesus is? What he wants from his devoted disciples more than anything else is that they should look at the people around them and decide, I will be someone who cares for them. That's how we demonstrate our faith. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, then explain to me why you made that mistake and prove to me that you're sad enough, that you've repented with enough sincerity, say the right kind of prayer, believe the right kind of things, make sure you find the right church to go to, subscribe to the right doctrines in every way possible, make sure that you believe exactly what only these insiders... He doesn't do that. You know why? 
None of that matters to him as much as one thing, that we should be people who receive his love by loving others. Yeah. I like that someone said, yup. It's the best answer. And I'll say why I love that. It's so simple. And it is not complex. Jesus could have made it complex. He could have said so many things, if you love me then. But all he says is, tend my sheep. He says, dad, if you're a father, he says, love your daughter well. Pray for her. Talk to me about her and do that for a long time. And maybe you'll talk to her about me, but pray for her. He says, wife, love that husband of yours. Trust him. Believe in him. Encourage him. Challenge him when he needs it. Stand by him. Uh, Jesus says, sister, tolerate your brother. <laughs> I said that because some of you sisters, that's all you can do. But, but he, want, he does. He wants you to, to, to be good to your siblings. Later today, when, when you're having an Easter meal together and it's super challenging. It is so beautiful. To me, this is another one of the elements of Christian faith that is so inspiring, that the very heart of it is that we should love the people around us. How? Well, like Jesus loves his sheep. You know what he does for them? He lays his life down for them. Watch what happens next. Remember, this is the first time that Jesus has spoken to Peter. This is verse 16. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son, son of John, do you love me? Uh, he's asked that question once. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Uh, he said that once. This is the second time. Do some of you see where this is going? Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep three times. Three times repeating the same question. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is bringing Peter back to the place where he built the wall between them. And what Jesus is doing is taking the wall apart brick by brick. One, two, three. It's a small wall. You say only three bricks. <laughs> but those were big bricks. But Jesus brings him back there not, not to, to rub it in his face, but to take it apart so they can move together forward into the future where Peter can be, as he says in his letter, reborn into a life of hope instead of hopelessness because he doesn't have to look at himself anymore. He doesn't have to look back and say, that's who I was. He can look 
in the present right now and say, this is who I'm with. I'm with this wall breaker, Jesus, the one who brings me back to prove to me that he takes it apart so that I can leave my misery and my failure back there where it belongs forever so that Jesus can assure me that he's already torn it down. Through his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus has dealt with Peter's betrayal so completely he doesn't even need to address it directly. All that matters is what's right now in the present because from this point forward, Peter's sin and grief and failure can remain in the grave where Jesus brought it down when he was crucified. The Apostle Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 4, excuse me, 5, verse 14. We, the love of Christ, urges us on. We are convinced that one died for all, therefore all have died. Paul actually believed that when Jesus was crucified, that all of our old selves were also nailed to the cross with him in a mystical, spiritual way. Every grievous thing you've done, every shameful thing, every failure of yours was gathered up by God Almighty and brought onto that cross and crucified there with Jesus. And, and the love of Christ urges us on to believe that. Some of you are going to think, what was that verse? Write it down, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. I'm not making this stuff up. And then he goes on to add this. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. And this is why Jesus did this. This is why Jesus died for Peter. This is why Jesus died for Thomas. This is why Jesus died for Judas. This is why Jesus died for all of them and for all of you so that you wouldn't have to walk the hopeless path of living for yourself anymore. But instead, you could live for the one who died and was raised again for you. And if you live for him, you no longer have to walk the road by yourself because he's alive and he's walking right beside you. Oh, that's such good news. And inside, all of you mild-mannered people are shouting and rejoicing, but you're going to keep it in. <laughs> From this point forward, Peter has a mission, and it is to accept that he's been forgiven and love Jesus by caring for other people. And my challenge to you this morning on this Easter is that you should accept Jesus' forgiveness and love Jesus by loving other people. And I'm going to put a finer point on this challenge. If you are here and you are not a disciple of Jesus, my challenge to you is to become a disciple of Jesus. Yes. Now listen carefully. I did not say to believe everything that I believe or to subscribe to this denomination's outlook on things or to join up this church or that church or believe me, I don't care. But you should become a disciple of Jesus. You should read the New Testament for yourself. You should. You shouldn't just have your opinions about it because of what other people do or say. You should read it. You should read his message. You should watch what happens when you open your heart to the man who leaps off every page of this document. It will knock your socks off. You should consider his stories. You should open your mind and your heart to his way. And then you should start coming to church every single week. <laughs> you, do, you don't need to come to this church. And you may say, oh, I don't like those people. 
Every church you go to, you're not going to like them all, and some of them are not going to like you. But that's what we're like, right? But what if we all laid down our arms and followed the risen Jesus who says, love me by caring for others. If you're not a disciple, your life begins the moment you decide to start walking on the path with Jesus. And you can make that decision whenever. You can make it right now. You should. I remember when I was 13 and made that decision. And for me, it was a prayer. I said, God, I can't believe that you love me. And I accept it. You could do that now. You should. That's my challenge to you if you're not a disciple. If you already are a disciple, and I want to say this, I thank God for you disciples. I do. When I think about the calling that I get to be a pastor here at Renaissance Church, I thank God for you disciples all the time. What you, my challenge to you is, is listen now, to remember this, that because the Lord is alive, he's coming for you. And, and the wall that you've run into, do not give up because of it. The wall that you built, that you built, you built it. Don't give up because of it, because he's a wall breaker. Amen. I like that. Is that a song? You let him come and take the wall apart. You build an, you're going to build another one probably, but he'll come again. He keep, he'll keep coming after you. And what I'm challenging you to do is to let him take down that wall and bring all those bricks with him down into the grave where they belong and then receive him again by loving others. And that is a simple challenge, but it is the most important challenge that I can think to give. Like Jesus said to Peter on that beach, where he met him the first time and the last time. Feed the lambs that God has put into your life. It might be your peers or, or the one you love who you're next to in church or your daughter or your mom or your friends. Love them. Love them well. Oh, it's such good work. It will not always be rewarding. Don't you know that? Yeah. If you don't want to get hurt, don't try to love anyone. <laughs> Seriously, close your heart off and, and that'll lower the chances that you'll get hurt. But, but my God, don't do that. Open your heart up to love. And will it cause you pain? Of course it will. If you share in the fellowship of the risen Lord Jesus, you will also have a share in his sufferings. But dear friends, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not all the suffering in the world that you're experiencing because you're trying to love the people around you. And so that is my challenge. Become a disciple Love Jesus by loving the people around you. Here, let me close with these words, and probably I'll say something else after them, but we'll see. <laughs> like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each one of you should serve the people around you with whatever gift you have received. That was also written by the Apostle Peter, that hypocrite. Accept Jesus' forgiveness. Let him take the wall down, and then let's get walking. Amen? Amen? God, we thank you for the gift of this time together, for the glory of this day, for the truth that you are alive. And we thank you that in your resurrection, you come to people who are running away to break the walls down, to give your grace and mercy so that they have new birth into a living hope. 
reconciled to you, redeemed not with perishable things, but with the imperishable blood of the Lamb. Speak now to every heart in this room the words that you speak in Christ. I love you, love me, love others. Make us, each one of us individual, individually, people who are joyful today. Help us love the people that you put in our paths today. And then help us become a church that is strong in love. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.